So this morning we'll be in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And as you are, so before we come to our uh, text this morning, I want to ask, yourself, ask you, have you ever found yourself in a situation where someone won't stop asking you to do something? Hmm? Kids, have you ever had friends or siblings that just keep asking you to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over? Like maybe, hey, will you play a game? 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 Or maybe to go for a bike ride or maybe to watch a show. And maybe after so many times, what happens? You might finally give in, right? If I finally give in and say, all right, I'll play a game with you or all right, I'll watch the show you want to watch because you're tired of them asking, right? Adults, how about you? You ever found yourself in a situation like this at work or, I don't know, maybe even at home? I mean, that doesn't really happen, right, with your children? I mean, it can't, that doesn't. But when I think of persistence in asking for something, one of the movies that comes to mind is the movie Up. If you've seen the movie, there's a little boy named Russell who's a junior wilderness explorer, and he wants to help Carl, this elderly man who lives alone, so he can get his assisting the elderly badge. And he won't take no for an answer. He keeps showing up, asking if he can help Carl, and the response is always, no. Throughout the movie, Russell keeps asking with persistence if he can help. And in the end, his persistence pays off, not just in getting his badge, but in a relationship with Carl. This morning, Jesus tells us a parable about a widow who keeps asking a judge for help. And he keeps saying, no. But the woman is persistent, and her persistence pays off in the end. And sometimes this parable is often misunderstood because sometimes people think it teaches that Jesus is saying that we must fervishly be troublesome in our persistence in prayer, that it's a a virtue of some kind. They've wrongly used this text to teach that we must frantically beg God to answer our prayers. But if you pay attention to the parable, that's not the teaching at all. This parable is a parable of contrast. And the clear lesson of the parable is that God is not like the judge. For God is good and gracious. And we are not like the nameless widow, for we are his chosen ones, his children. So let's read Luke 18, 1 through 8, our text this morning. And he told them a parable to the effect that they, ought to always, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, 
He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we hear Jesus' words this morning, Lord, that we would be transformed by them and conformed to them. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, Dr. Tim LaCroix was our visiting guest preacher, and he continued with our series in Luke, our series titled Certainty in Christ. And he took us through the previous passage, Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. And he showed us from the text that the kingdom of God is already in Christ, and yet not yet in its fulfillment. He reminded us that much of Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed by Roman armies. And yet there is fulfillment to come in Christ's second coming and making all things new. And our text this morning comes in this context. The first verse and the last verse of our passage clues us into this context. The, the narrator uh, the author Luke says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Lose heart in what? Lose heart in what Jesus had just talked about in terms of when he would come in the signs of the Son of Man coming. Losing heart that Jesus' second coming may be delayed. And then in verse eight, I tell you, he says he will give you justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so Jesus and Luke, the author of our text by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, place this parable within the context of Jesus' previous teaching about the destruction of Jerusalem and his second coming. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. This parable is not so much about the coming of the kingdom, or the coming again of Christ to fulfill all of the kingdom promises, but our parable this morning is about the already time period waiting for the not yet. The parable is about the Christian life and the already of the kingdom. In light of Christ's coming in the flesh and full of grace, and in view of His coming in judgment, the disciple is to pray continually, Jesus says, as we prayed this morning in the Lord's Prayer, to let your kingdom come. Persistence in prayer is the church's posture until Jesus comes again. And yet, the question that many of us have, maybe not all the time, but if you're like me, the question we have, does God hear us and will he act? Right? Sometimes it seems like there's just no one listening. Does God hear us and will he act? And this question is one that many people have, both believer and unbeliever alike. Unbelievers rightly might mock the idea that there's a, quote, God who hears our prayers. But many 
believers over the centuries have struggled with what seems like the silence of God to their prayers. Read the Psalms, right? David repeatedly and other authors of the Psalms seem to wonder, as Tim reminded us last week, how long, O Lord? Lord, turn your ear to me. Do you hear, O God? But Jesus says that God hears and answers all pleas for justice from his children. Jesus says that our God who is gracious and merciful hears us and will act on our behalf. Our God who is gracious and merciful hears us and will act on our behalf. That is the main point of this passage of this parable, that our God who is gracious and merciful hears us and will act on our behalf. Those are our two points this morning. He hears us and he acts on our behalf. First, he hears us, verses 1 through 7. Jesus tells this parable about a persistent widow and an unrighteous judge. Right, he sets us up for understanding how God hears us by, tell, by giving an example of someone who does not listen. Right, he doesn't listen to this widow. This widow who, if you are familiar with ancient Israel, were the most defenseless in Hebrew society. The Old Testament refers to their being oppressed in Malachi 3.5 and taken advantage of in Exodus 22, verses 22 through 24. They were often legal victims, Isaiah 1, 17 and 23. And this is the case of this woman in our parable today. Notice that the woman does not want vengeance. She wants restorative justice. She wants things to be restored to the way that they're supposed to be. And the options for obtaining this justice from a rogue judge like this were few in her day. A bribe, she likely didn't have the money to give. A threat, which she had no power to fulfill or to plead. This was her only recourse, and she pled day and night. Every day, she begged him to help her, and the language in the Greek leaves open the possibility of her not just going to court every day, not just going to the place where the judge sat every day, but literally confronting him in every possible place that he might be going Right? To confront him over and over again everywhere, not just in court. She may have pleaded with him in front of his colleagues. She may have confronted him on the street. She may have persisted against him in the market. She may have called out to him at, her, at his home. And her chances for justice were very slim with this godless, hardened, cynical man. But it's the only thing that she can do. Right, this judge, not only does Jesus, the narrator, say that he did not fear God and, or, or respect man, but he himself in the, in the text says, I don't fear God. 
I don't respect men, man. He has no shame. Nothing can sway him. In other words, this judge operates outside of the normal social patterns of his day, right? He operates outside the normal patterns of his day that he does not observe Torah, right? The law of God. He likely isn't a Jew because in some form or fashion, he would have some fear of the law of God, but maybe he is, and he's just a Jewish judge who has sworn off God. But he also doesn't have the basic social mores of his day. He doesn't have the basic social morality that his day, that people in his day would have shown. And this widow cannot influence him because he is not ashamed to ignore someone whom his society and God require that he take notice of and help, right? God's law requires that he would hear and heed this widow's call for help. Society of that day formed around the law of God would have said that this widow needed to be served, taken care of, because it was the neighbor's duty to do so. And yet, through the persistence of the widow, he gives in. As I mentioned before, the kind of sub-Christian version of this parable is to imagine that our fervent prayers will begin to accumulate a meritorious critical mass that God cannot ignore. Right? If we just keep piling up prayer upon prayer upon prayer upon prayer upon prayer, then God will hear us finally and he will just answer our prayer. But this is not what Jesus is teaching at all. And in fact, this view is somewhat idolatrous because it imagines that God is something like an unjust judge. And unfortunately, I think some of us have that view of God. That he's like this unjust judge who doesn't want to listen, who tries to ignore. And if we just bother him enough, maybe just maybe, he'll answer. But notice that Jesus is clear that God is not like this judge. He's not, as we would say in Western Pennsylvania, a major jag, right? God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Jesus says, will not God give, right? Will not God give? In verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says, period, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? These are rhetorical questions that Jesus is asking. 
Of course not. If we've been paying attention to who Jesus has been teaching us that our heavenly father is throughout his ministry up until this point in the gospel of Luke, the answer that the disciple has to Jesus' question is, well, of course God hears me. Of course he will answer me because he is my good, loving, merciful father. Of course God will hear me because he is not like that judge. This is the God who hears us when we cry out to him, when we come to him, when we pray to him. He's not just the God who hears, right? It'd be one thing if our God hears us, if our Heavenly Father hears us. And that would be, I guess, comforting in some form or fashion that He hears us. But Jesus says He doesn't just hear us. He acts on our behalf, right? He just doesn't take our pleas, our cries, our requests, and just file them away. But he hears and he moves to action. In the parable, this woman is a, I hate to say it, but for lack of a better term, an insignificant nobody. She's a, a widow in a society where widows, unless they were cared for by their extended family, were likely destituted to life on the street or a life of prostitution to care for themselves. She was an insignificant nobody. But Jesus is reminding us as Christians, we are God's elect his chosen ones, created in his image, redeemed by the Son of God, adopted as his children. Because of who God is and who we are in Christ, we are assured that God hears us and will act on our behalf. Right? That's what Jesus is getting at when he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The rhetorical question is, of course he hears and will act because we are his elect. We are his chosen ones. We are those created in his image, redeemed by the Son of God, adopted as his children, the ones he dearly loves, the ones who his steadfast love endures forever for. So he will act on our behalf because of who he is and who we are in Christ. Jesus is first and foremost teaching us that our Heavenly Father hears us, receives our cries, our pleas, our prayers with gladness. It's not begrudgingly. It's not like God, Heavenly Father, is sitting up there and being like, all right, well, <laughs> Again, what's, okay, well, yeah. 
No, he receives it with gladness. He receives his children coming to him. We don't have to beg and plead and bother our Father with incessant prayer. Right? That's first and foremost what Jesus is teaching, that he hears and he will act on our behalf because he loves to hear from his children. And we don't have to beg and plead and bother our Father. And yet there's another teaching within this parable besides the fact that he hears and he acts because we are his children and he desires to hear from us. And this is in the part of the persistence, not in that we have to persistently beg and plead to get God to hear us and to act, but persistence in the fact that we are to continue in our prayer for the long haul until Jesus comes again. Even if there seems to be no answer, we continue to pray not because he's an unjust judge, but because he is loving and good and gracious. We persist in prayer not because we have to yet to get God's attention, but because we know that he cares and will hear us. I think of our waiting in prayer like the difference between sticking a piece of meat in the microwave that will be able to be eaten in a few minutes and what it's like to smoke a brisket. I like to smoke meat. And anytime I can bring that into a sermon, I'm happy to do that. But if you think about it, that's what waiting in persistent prayer is like. Right? I could stick a brisket in the microwave and, and heat it up, and in a few minutes it would be, be edible, maybe. Or I can stick it in the smoker for 12, 13 14 hours. During that time, meat can sometimes do what they call stall. It gets to a certain point where it's heating up, it's, it's going in the right direction, and then it just stalls, and the internal temperature will not move. And you have to wait the stall out. You have to just wait slowly and patiently, knowing that eventually that meat will begin to heat again, and the internal temperature will get to the point where you can then eat it. And that stall can take an hour, two hours, three. It just depends. You never know. And it doesn't even matter the size of the cut of the meat. It can just stall. But you know that it will eventually come to the point where it will be ready to eat, and it will be so good. It will be so good that when you slice it, it will nearly fall apart. It'll be so good that when you put it in your mouth, it will almost nearly dissolve. It'll be so good that you can taste the different wood that you've used to smoke it. It will be transformed. And you get something that is utterly and truly amazing. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, puts it like this. As we wait and pray, God weaves his story and creates wonder. Instead of drifting between comedy, denial, and tragedy, reality, we have a relationship with the living God. 
who is intimately involved with the details of our worlds, we are learning to watch for the story to unfold, to wait for the wonder. You see, in that waiting for the prayer to come to fruition, God is weaving his story, creating wonder. creating a relationship with the living God. We're learning to watch for the story to unfold and to wait for the wonder that is to come when it is completed. Miller goes on. He says, prayer is bringing our helplessness to Jesus. We forget that helplessness is how the Christian life works. The gospel, God's free grace of free gift of grace in Jesus only works when we realize that we don't have it all together. And the same is true for prayer. The very thing that we are allergic to, he says, our helplessness, is where prayer works. It works because we are helpless and we can't do life on our own. Jesus says that God answers all pleas for justice and does so quickly, right? In verse 8, and will not God bring justice, or 7, and will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Jesus says, no, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And you might say, I've been waiting for the same prayer to be answered for years. Come on, Jesus. Come on, John. How can this be? How can Jesus say this when sometimes we wait and wait and wait? Jesus answers that in the next sentence when he refers to his coming which makes it clear that quickly does not mean immediately. The idea here is swiftly. That is, when God acts, it will be quick or swift. When the time comes for the brisket to be done, it will be done quickly and swiftly. When the time comes for God to answer the prayer that maybe you've been sitting in for years and years and years and years, it will come quickly and swiftly, just like the coming of the Son of Man. Going back to our text last week, it will come swiftly and quickly when it comes. It may take a long time for it to come, but when it comes, it's going to come. And it's going to happen, just like a storm that comes up out of nowhere. It will happen quickly and swiftly. Bill Thrasher, a professor at Moody, says, perseverance in prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but rather laying hold of God's willingness. Our sovereign God has purposed to sometimes require persevering prayer as the means to accomplish His will. As we persevere in prayer, God may use that to accomplish his will. And when it's time for it to come, it will happen swiftly 
and quickly. As we live in the not yet, right, longing for the return of the Son of Man, right, when Jesus says in his previous passage that we look for the signs, we long for him, come Lord Jesus. As we live in the not yet, longing for the return of Jesus, his closing question in verse 8 has the same force today as it did when he first asked it in A.D. 33. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And in Jesus' question, he's implying that such faith will not be found unless his disciples learn to always pray and not give up. That the church might pray with persistence until he comes again. That the church might pray with persistence, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That the church might pray with persistence that every aspect of our lives is done under the lordship of Jesus Christ that the church might pray with persistence, that he leads us to do his will and his work in this world until he comes again. Jesus saying that continual prayer until he comes is not only the evidence of faith, but it's the means of building faith until his return. Our faith is built as we live in that relationship with our Heavenly Father. The God to whom we pray is not like the unjust judge who could only be badgered into responding, for our God is loving and gracious. And we are not like the nameless widow, for we are his chosen ones, children of the King who he knows personally and intimately. And will not a father who is sinful, when his son asks for bread, give him bread instead of a snake? How much more? Well, your heavenly father, who is perfect and holy and good and loving and kind and merciful, give his children what they ask for. Because of this, he delights to hear and answer our prayers until he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, your word made flesh in Jesus, your word given to us through the apostles and the prophets. Lord God, we pray that you would give us ears this day to hear the good news, to hear the hope of the gospel, to be reminded, Heavenly Father, that you indeed are good and merciful and gracious, and you desire to receive and to hear the prayers of your people, and that, Lord, you will act you will act according to your goodwill 
for the good of your children. Lord, may we have the strength and perseverance to persevere in prayer to the very end that your church might be a praying church that prays for your kingdom to come on earth as is in heaven until the day we see the good and righteous judge appear, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.